Amen. So we're going to get into the word of the Lord tonight. Again, last week we talked about evangelism, so we took a break from our normal. The last several weeks we have been walking through the book of Acts. I've mentioned this multiple times. I just want to refresh your memory because I have felt, I don't know if it's conviction, concern, I don't know what the term is, but I have felt that too many times I personally deal with topical teaching or topical preaching Pick a topic, take a text, and preach. And uh, sometimes we need to slow down just a little bit and just walk through the Word of God. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but this happens to me all the time. Okay? I've, I've grown up around this. I've been uh, very much, my parents did an incredible job about inundating us in the Word I've heard a lot of preaching in my life. See, I'm really weird. I don't just go to church and hear preaching. I listen to preaching for fun, okay? Uh, and uh, and what? And then I get critical and I listen to myself preaching, and I go, "Man, that dude sounds like an idiot." Sometimes I listen to a lot of preaching, okay? And so, uh, but yet at the same time, I'll get to reading the Word of God and get to studying the Word of God, and I recognize very quickly that I don't know everything. Or I'll read something and think, that has never been in my I've never read that before in my life. I know I've read it. I know I've read it. And, and yet I, 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 I read it again or maybe I read it in a fresh perspective. And, and all of a sudden it jumps out to me and I go, wow, what an incredible revelation. Then I go share it with somebody and they're like, yeah, dummy, you didn't know that? <laughs> and so... Uh, that's what we're doing. That's why I'm walking through the book of Acts. I'm taking my time. I know that. We'll, we'll, we'll take breaks during this, and we'll do something else if the Lord wants us to. But we're just going to walk through the book of Acts and talk about the book of Acts over the next several weeks as we've already started. Um, I believe in being an apostolic church. That's not a denomination as much as it is a way of life. Okay? And so if I'm going to be apostolic, I need to know what the apostles did. And there's no greater place to know what the apostles did than the book of the Acts of the Apostles. So today we're going to continue in our lesson series on the book of Acts 2.0. We're going to talk about what it means to be apostolic in the 21st century. What does it mean to truly be a book of Acts church? Amen? So if you got your Bibles or your cell phones, turn to with me to the book of Acts chapter 6. We're going to do, go through Acts chapter 6 and 7, Lord willing, tonight. And uh, I know that sounds a lot more than, it, than, than you're probably like wanting to hear tonight, but I promise you it's going to flow a whole lot better doing it this way because it deals with the same incident. Okay, So we're going to get into the book of Acts chapter 6, and I'm going to begin reading verse number 1. The Bible says, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. 
whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So the first five chapters, we've seen God's hand move in a mighty way. Since the ascension of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 1, We've seen God's hand move in the church in miraculous ways. People have received the Holy Ghost, as many as 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, as many as 5,000 in in chapters 3 and 4. We've even seen judgment in the church. God has struck down people for sin, and there's a lot of things happening in the church. But when we begin reading in Acts chapter 6, we see the first real problem in the church. Okay? Okay? Basically what's taking place, God is adding to the church. People are getting the Holy Ghost. People are are realizing or receiving revelation. They are stepping into a new dimension in their walk with God. They are recognizing the fact in Jerusalem that Jesus is the Messiah. The man that was slain on the cross on Passover is the Messiah that we've been waiting on, we've been looking for. And so... Uh, they're, they're excited about their new revelation as we all were when we received the Holy Ghost and I hope and pray that we still are. Amen. There is an excitement. There's a lot of things happening. They're continuing daily in the temple. They're going house to house. They're in fellowship and in prayer together. They're telling their friends and their neighbors about this Jesus that can move in their life. What an incredible moment of revival until they realize they've gotten a little bit too big. Now, no revival preacher wants his, worth his salt wants to ever admit that the church got too big. But that's exactly what has happened in Acts chapter 6. Okay? Things are going great. The church is growing. People are receiving the Holy Ghost. Miracles are happening. But there is a breakdown in the daily administration of the church. Now, if you remember the end of chapter 4, beginning of chapter 5, they brought all things. They had all things common. They helped one another. If I have, I gave to the church so that that my brother or sister who didn't have, the widows, the orphans, the, the ones that were poor, they didn't have anything, they would be able to eat and they would be able to survive. We worked together. We did everything we could to make sure that the church was not just surviving but thriving. Okay? And yet now the breakdown is such that there are people in the church that are not getting fed. Okay? Now, I don't know if this was intentional. I'm not sure. But I think it's very telling that Luke, in writing Acts chapter 6, makes a statement and differentiates between groups of people. Follow me right now, because this is apostolic. He said the Grecian widows were neglected, and the Hebrews were responsible. Everybody with me so far? You see, there was a breakdown, and again, I don't know if it was intentional. I don't know if it was on accident, but you have your first Uh, If I can say it like this, your first little click in the church. And there's a group of people, there's a demographic that's not being fed. And it caused issues in the church. 
And so they come to the apostles and they said, wait a minute, what are we going to do? We've got folks that are not being fed in the church. Now we're talking physical feeling, uh, feeding, but let me go ahead and say, when people aren't fed spiritually, it causes problems. Now, I'm going to say a couple of things here, and I'm going to be in trouble, but hey, we're, we're here, so we might as well go there. Uh, there's only one group of people that I know of that can't feed themselves. It's called babies. Marley can't feed herself. I can feed myself. So if you say, well, I can't go to that church because I'm not getting fed, I want to know what are you eating? Are you still a baby or have you grown enough to feed yourself? Okay, some of y'all looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Let me say it like this. If you've been in church and you've grown up in church or you've been in church for several years, if you're still worried about how you're getting fed, you have not learned how to eat yourself. We, everybody hear me, we need to learn how to have a steady intake, a steady diet of the Word of God for ourselves. If the only time you're getting in His Word is when I teach on Wednesday night, you're missing it. You're still a baby. You and I need to learn how to get into His Word, how to digest His Word, how to study His Word. We, need, we, we can't live by bread alone, Deuteronomy tells us, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We need His Word to edify and cleanse us and make us what we need to be. And if you're only getting that on Sunday and Wednesday, you're not getting enough. You're going to be weak, anemic, and it's going to cause problems. Amen. Amen. Well, glory. And people that don't get fed get hungry. That's profound, isn't it? And how many of you, when you get hungry, are in a pleasant mood? Oh, I, I'm just going to get in trouble. I know I am when I say this, but uh, my wife hates it when I fast. Because she'll say things like, if you're going to be ugly, you're not doing much good fasting Brother Jason, she's right. <laughs> Anybody ever been hangry before? That's the way I get. Amen. The truth is, when people in the church don't get fed, they get hungry. And when they get hungry, they get hangry. Y'all not listening to me. And so the problem, the breakdown is, we've got to learn how to make sure everybody's getting fed in the church. So how do you do that? Well, the 12 called the multitude together and said, Hey, here's a problem. If we leave the ministry of the word to serve tables, we're going to have a breakdown. Okay? We can't do it all. Everybody say, I can't do it all. I know we want to think. I, I, I wish I could. Man, I have so many great ideas about what I want to do. And I realize I can't do everything that I want to do. Okay? And the truth be told, I sure can't do everything well. Something's going to suffer. I dare say all of it's going to suffer. So I have to find what God's called me to do. And I've got to find my place in the body so that the body is served. And the people are fed. Amen. 
and, it, and the body's able to run smoothly because I know where I'm supposed to be in the body. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and, and talks about members of the body being fitly framed together, fitly joined together as it has pleased the Lord. It's the pleasure of God to put us exactly where we need to be to benefit the body as a whole. So that's exactly what's taking place here. The apostles are not trying to get out of anything because, hey, we're the pastor. The truth of the matter is they understand that there are some things only they can do. And so they need people that can come alongside the vision and the mission of the body and do what needs to be done. I'm going to say it whether you believe it or not. The truth of the matter is the church will not be successful because of the pastor alone. The church will be successful because the pastor impacts and influences key leaders who then influence other leaders, who then influence other folks. And we begin to, what does the Bible say? Oh, I'm getting so far into, my, into trouble for tomorrow. But the truth of the matter is when God created heaven and earth, He did not say, let there be trees. It's not in Genesis 1. You know what He said? He said, let the earth bring forth after its kind. Let the waters bring forth after its kind. The truth of the matter, the reality and the principle is, he spoke to what was latent potential and commanded it to reproduce. Y'all still with me? And God expects us to bring forth after our kind. I'm not talking physically right now. I'm talking spiritually. If the church is going to grow and be what God's called it to be, we've got to learn how to be productive saints. It's been said before, sheep beget sheep. The truth is that shepherds don't have sheep. In fact, Mosaic law condemns that kind of stuff. Now, that's not the pastor getting out of teaching Bible studies because before I was a shepherd, I was a sheep. Okay? I still have responsibility to reach the world. But that doesn't mean it's all my responsibility. The church is going to grow when the church, when the saints, when people in the church say, you know what, I'm going to grow with it. Amen. So the Bible says that they begin to look out men. Now, they, 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 they wanted specifically seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom they may appoint over the business. The prerequisites for people that are used by God is Holy Ghost infilling, godly wisdom, and integrity. That's what we got to have. A good report within and without. You're not going to be an effective leader if the world thinks you're crazy. You're not going to be an effective witness if you can't pay your bills. That's true. Oh, I thought it was you had to speak in tongues for 35 minutes every day. No, 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 no. You got to be of a good report, honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and full of wisdom. And I'm going to say something here. Don't anybody get mad at me. I, I, you got to have the Holy Ghost to be saved. But the Holy Ghost don't fix stupid. Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy, but it's true. That's why people with the Holy Ghost can act like idiots sometimes. Y'all have never dealt with that. Okay. How can I say this? 
That's why James said, if any man lack wisdom, he's not writing an evangelistical message. He's writing to the church. He's writing to people that are spirit-filled and said, if you lack wisdom, I got the Holy Ghost. Yeah, but you lack wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, I love this, who giveth it liberally. When it comes to wisdom, God's a liberal. Amen? He wants to give it as much as you can handle. He, if you ask God for wisdom, he will load you down with wisdom. He wants you and I to have apostolic or godly wisdom. And so they begin to look out men. And the whole purpose was that these men would be delegated to operate in an office of servanthood. And so the saying pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, Holy Ghost, Philip Procris, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas. These men are listed out. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. These men begin to work in the Jerusalem church among the Jews, among the Grecians. They begin to serve tables. They were prayed for. They were anointed by God to serve tables. Nobody in, in apostolic culture, in, Pentecost, well, in our Pentecostal culture, nobody. Nobody really wants to serve tables. Everybody wants to preach. Okay, let me talk about me for a second. No, I, you know, it's not as fun. I promise you, it's not as fun being up at 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the morning at youth camp trying to unclog toilets. It's not near as fun as it is to preach at HYC in front of 2,500 people. That's the truth. And it don't take much of a genius to realize why. Right? But I have found that if you'll serve first, God will elevate in due time. Okay? In fact, if you don't believe that, God would begin to work in the church to such a point because they had people in places of servanthood, in service, working and doing the things of God, that the word of God would increase and I want everybody to get this in verse 7, that the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Now before this, the Lord talks about adding to the church daily, such as should be saved. But when people stepped into their proper place in the body and had an attitude of, I'm going to serve the kingdom, whether I got a microphone or not, if I'm not the lead pastor or not, I'm going to still serve the kingdom. Guess what took place? God said, now I can multiply where I only was able to add at first. I've been around long enough to know that successful churches are not, pastoral, are not pastor or personal, personality driven. It's when people connect with the vision of the pastor, the vision of, the, of God for that church, and when that happens and they, get, they put their, their, their backs into it and say, you know what, pastor, we're going to work together. We're going to work with you. Guess what? That's when God begins to bless and people's lives are changed. Amen? Amen. Well, glory. Guess what? Though it didn't stop there. Verse number 8, a man, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Stephen's serving tables. He's making sure the widows have something to eat. Can I say it like this? Stephen is faithful to nursing home ministry. 
He's just faithful to nursing home ministry. He's just helping. The, they're not ripping and roaring. He's just, he's just serving people. He's just helping the church. Just doing what he's called to do. But there came a day, and the Bible does not elaborate on it. There came a day where Stephen came face to face with a need. And instead of saying, let me go get pastor, he said, well, let's just pray about that. And all of a sudden, Stephen stepped into the supernatural. Stephen goes from serving tables to stepping into the supernatural and the miraculous power of God. Just remember this, that in serving God, if God's going to find somebody that he can move on and use, it will be somebody that's serving him. God doesn't look at the bench and go, I need somebody in the game in the 21st century. Let me find the guy that's not practicing. The truth is, God puts somebody that's already working. Amen. God puts somebody that's... I, I, oh, Lord, help me. I, I'm not going to say hate. I really don't like hearing young preachers. And I still, I, I, I still am one. But I hate hearing young preachers say things like, I'm just going to go sit on the pew until God opens the door for me to pastor. You're going to wait a long time, son. You're going to wait a long time. Because if you don't learn to grow where you're planted, you'll never bear fruit. Amen. I've been around this thing too long, y'all. I've, been, I've, I've done this too much now. I, I've seen it happen too many times. When God begins to use somebody in the supernatural, when God begins to use somebody, partner with somebody in a new realm or new dimension of ministry, it's always because they were working where God had planted them. If God plants you in a Sunday school class, you be the best Sunday school teacher. If God plants you in a prayer room, you be the best prayer warrior. If God plants you in a neighborhood, you learn to lock doors there. If whatever, wherever God plants you, you operate there. And when it's time for God to move you, He will do it in due season. But just remember the principle. Whatever we sow, that we will reap. If you sow lazy, you're going to reap lazy. Well, glory. Stephen stepped into a moment of anointing. And I'm going to show you in the next few verses that Stephen, a man waiting on tables, changed the course of Christianity. I thought Peter was the guy that changed the course of Christianity. No, Peter started it. Stephen changed it. Because Stephen's over here waiting on tables, just serving God, just doing, being faithful, just doing what God's called him to do, just living for him and serving him. And the next thing you know, Stephen is full of faith and power, and God's using him to do wonders and miracles among the people. And it caught the attention of certain of the synagogue. Verse number 9, Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertarians and, and Cyrenians and Alexandrians and of them of Sicily and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. The same guy 
who a few verses before said he was full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, now stands, now he's not wiping tables down and serving lunches. He's now standing before people who are doubting his doctrine and they are not able to stand against. That word resist literally means to stand against. They were not able to stand against the same spirit and wisdom that he had a few verses before. God was using him in a mighty way. And they were not able to resist him. And they suborned men or they, they bribed somebody. They, they got a few guys together and, and made them uh, make a false testimony. And, and these guys said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses which said, this man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Stephen, who's operating in wisdom and power, who's, who's oper- just serving tables, just being faithful, and God's using him in great ways. Now he's standing face to face against the enemy. But what does the Sanhedrin see? Y'all need to catch this, because I don't know if we catch it a lot of times in, in reading our Bible. They see him. They look at him. They're judging him. They're coming against him. They've got all these false witnesses. And they look at him and they recognize something that Israel has not seen for years. They see his face like an angel. Y'all ready for this? The last time a man, outside of Jesus, the last time a man stood before men with his face glowing like an angel was Moses coming off the mountain. They're accusing him of changing Mosaic law and attacking the temple. And yet standing before them full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom is a man whose countenance begins to look a lot like the man Moses. Why? Because he's faithful. Because he's full of the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost is moving on him and using him for greater things. And the the Bible says that that they get crazy with this. If you study chapter 7, and we're going to do this quickly because there's a lot to it. But basically, the high priest asked him, 7 verse 1, Are these things so? And he says, I'm glad you asked. Would you stand with me and take your text in? That's not King James Version, but that's what he said. He says, men and brethren, fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared under our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Sharon. Said unto him, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I show thee. Came out of the land of Chaldeans and dwelt in Sharon. And from thence when his father was dead, he removed him unto this land wherein ye now dwell and gave him none inheritance. No, not so much as set his foot on yet. Promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to a seat after him. When as yet he had no child. He starts preaching about Abraham. He starts telling them, hey, you remember Father Abraham? The guy we, we claim to be descendants of. You remember that guy? Well, guess what? The glory of God appeared to him and showed him a few things and told him to come out of the Chaldeans and gave him a promise. And God spoke on this wise that his seed should sojourn in a strange land, that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil 400 years. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God. And after that they shall come forth and serve me in this place. God gave 
Abraham a word that your people, your children are going to go into captivity in Egypt, but they're going to come back after 400 years and they're going to live in this land that I promised you. Okay? We, we good so far? Well, glory. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. So Abraham beget Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac beget Jacob. And Jacob beget the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs moved with envy. Sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him. My Lord, I could stop and preach right there. I love that. I read that again today. And I thought, man, that's a sermon in by itself. Joseph gets betrayed by his brethren. He could have been filled with bitterness, but God was with him. He could have messed up and had problems, but God was with him and through it all. Hey, I just want to go ahead and throw This is free tonight right here. I just want you to know, I know it's crazy right now. And situations and circumstances have us scratching our heads at times, but just remember one little truth. God is going to be with us. God's still going to be. When God's plan is in action, there's nothing that can stop it. Well, I don't know. I might could get out of the will of God. My friend, God's going to have a plan. Just stay faithful. Amen. Well, glory. Again, that was free. And delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Whoo, there's a lot of mouthful right there. I could Again, I could get into it. God can give favor to you in the midst of Egypt. Praise God. Amen. There came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan and great affliction and our fathers found no sustenance and Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt. He sent our fathers first and the second time Joseph was made known to his brethren. Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh and then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him and all his kindred, three score and fifteen souls and Jacob went down into Egypt and died. He and our fathers and were carried into Shechem and laid in the sepulcher of Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Emor the father of Shechem. And, and, and when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. Now, all of this you've heard, okay? This is all Old Testament. He's just regurgitating the law. He's talking to them right now, okay? I'm going to keep reading it because I don't want to skip anything. Amen. Time of the promise drew nigh. Abraham swore to the people. The people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose, which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred and evil and treated our fathers, so that they cast out their young children to the end they may not live, in which time Moses was born. You talking about a bad time to be born. Moses was born in that time, in that day, when it was horrible and hopeless, and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out of Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him in her, as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. That kind of contradicts actually this chapter three, chapters 3 and 4 where Moses looks at God and said, I, I can't talk well. Stephen said, no, no, no. He was mighty in word and deed. He was trained from the best. He knew what he was doing. He was just trying to use an excuse with God. God said, didn't I make a mouth and make the tongue? I don't you think I know how to fix all of that. Well, glory, praise God. Whew. Y'all still with me? And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. Be careful what you defend. Be careful what you defend. Bless God, they wronged my family. Be careful what you defend. 
Because I'm going to remind you of a little verse in your Bible that says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Moses saw some Egyptian beaten up on a Hebrew slave. And Moses said, this is my, this is Acts chapter 7. Luke is writing. He says, this is my time to show them I care. And when I show them I care, I'll defend him and they'll make me the leader. They'll see I'm the deliverer of Israel. And the next thing he knows, he's running for his life because he defended when it was never God's intention for him to be the defender. Y'all may not be getting anything out of this. I'm enjoying it like crazy. The truth of the matter is we want to defend. We want to make, bless God, they're not going to treat us that way. We're not going to. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You just stay faithful. I submit. I submit to this church. I'm not going to make a doctrine out of this. Just hear me out. God had already told Moses, or told Abraham, they're going to stay 400 years. If you study it, it's 430 years. I believe Moses stepped out of his position in a moment of time, and it cost Israel 30 more years before they were delivered. I can't make a doctrine out of it. It's just what pastors are studying in Scripture, what I see in Scripture. Okay? But because he defended when he was never supposed to defend. Well, glory. Y'all looking at me crazy. I'm not trying to get bogged down here. But the reality is, we got to remember, it's not my kingdom, it's his kingdom. It's not my reputation, it's his reputation. I'm preaching to me right now. It's not my work or my ministry. It's his ministry. It's his work. I've got to make sure that I operate under his will, not my will. The biggest battle we ever fight is the battle of self-will. And whoever sits on the throne in your life is who's going to have dominion in your life. And whatever has dominion in your life is what's going to be allowed to operate in your life. Woo! Glory. Help me, Lord. Okay, let's go on. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them one again at one again, made them one again, unified them again, and said, Sirs, we are brethren. Why do ye wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Would thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses at this saying and was a stranger in the land of Midian where he begat two sons. And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of of Mount Sinai, an angel of the Lord in the flame of fire and a bush. And when Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight and drew near to behold it. The voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and durst not behold. He wouldn't even look at it anymore. And the Lord said, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning and am come down to deliver them. And now I will send thee into Egypt, Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same God sent to be ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He was rejected, but he was, he was meant to be the deliverer. He brought them out after he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and the Red Sea and the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up 
of your brethren like unto me, him shall ye hear. Stephen's preaching about Moses. Now he's flipped the tables and he said, hey, by the way, the same Moses that was a deliverer that took him out of Egypt through the Red Sea and into the wilderness, guess what? He also prophesied about one that would be coming and he would be a deliverer. He'd get you out of Egypt, which is the world. He'll take you through the Red Sea, which is baptism. He'll give you law, which is the will. My God, help me. He'll give you everything you need. He'll get you out. He'll, he'll cover you with a cloud, get you through the water and through the cloud. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 that they were baptized unto him in the cloud and in the sea. You know what that represents? That's water baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And that's what gets you out of Egypt, sweetheart. Amen. Well, glory. And so Stephen's preaching all of this. This is that Moses. Amen. He's telling them, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai with our fathers who received lively oracles given unto us to whom our fathers would not obey but thrust him from them and their hearts turned back into Egypt. Amen. Saying unto Aaron, make us gods before us for as this Moses which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. They made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. And God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your God Rephim. Figures ye made to worship them and I will carry you away to Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of wilderness in the wilderness as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion as he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. What's he saying? He said they had everything they needed. They had the tabernacle of God's glory. They had everything they needed and yet they went after other gods and other ideas and other principles. Amen. Who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. This is David now. But Solomon built him a house. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands. As saith the prophet, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all things? Solomon, now you're building a temple, but don't you realize that it's really not the temple of God? Don't you realize you're just building a structure? There's no way you can build the temple. You can't build me a house, Solomon. You can try to honor me with a, ta a temple in Jerusalem, but you can't truly build me a house to tabernacle or to house my glory. And now Stephen is looking at these people who are defending this brick house that behind him. Who, who They're defending the temple. He now says, as ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. You stand against it. You resist the Holy Ghost just like your fathers did. Which of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted? They have slain them when showed before the coming of the just one of whom you have now been the betrayers and murderers. He's brought them all the way to this point through the Old Testament and said, but you're the ones that you've killed the one that's going to tabernacle the glory. They're going to house the glory of God. You can't build it, but there's one that was prophesied that's going to come and it's going to reveal the glory and you've betrayed him. You've received the law by disposition of angels, yet have not kept it. 
And here's what happens. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. They were so angry. They were cut to the heart. They were pricked in their heart. Acts chapter 2 used that terminology. But they were so angry at what he said that they began to rail on him. They began to accuse him and they began to judge him. But he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly in heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. He has just identified the Messiah. He's just preached. He's full of faith, wisdom, full of the Holy Ghost. And in the middle of his trial, he looks up and God gives him a vision. And he says, I see Jesus standing. on. I see the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Y'all ready for this? The glory of God is the revelation or the revealed Spirit of God. God is a spirit. You can't see God. So the only way that Jews, the Israelites, could express the Spirit of God was to speak of His glory. That's why Israel says, Moses... We want to speak to God like you speak to God. And God says, tell them to sanctify themselves, do a three-day fast, and I will show them my glory. He appears on the top of the mountain. The mountain shakes, the fire and the lightning flashes, the billowing clouds of smoke, and, and they hear the voice like the sound of many trumpets. They get a glimpse of his glory. Moses asked to see God's glory. He said, I can't show you all of it because you can't see my glory and live. You can't, be, you can't see the visible manifestation of my glory because it's so powerful it will destroy you. Okay? Repeatedly in Scripture, they, they, attempt, they attempt to see His glory. The closest thing they ever got was the Ark of the Covenant. It was symbolic of His glory. Okay, I'm going to take a few moments, four more moments, and we're almost gone. Okay, he says, I, "I'm going to show you my glory." The crazy thing about the glory, I don't, and see, I've always, I've always thought this. I, I, just recently, here in the last few months, it's kind of clicked with me. Go back and you study the, the the process of moving the temple and the tabernacle in the wilderness when they moved the Ark of the Covenant. They they took the Bible says that the high priest would take the the veil of the holy place the holy the holy, holy of holies he would take that veil and he would he would detach it from the silver tatches and he would walk it in to the glory the place of glory and he would cover the ark of the covenant because they were not allowed to see the glory of god with a naked human eye it was covered with the veil which symbolized flesh with me they couldn't see his glory because it had to be covered when Stephen says I see his glory and I see Jesus standing on the right hand of God he's not talking about three distinct situations he doesn't see the glory he doesn't see God 
and he doesn't see Jesus standing on the right hand. What he's saying is, what has been invisible and has been covered in flesh, the glory of God, I see it now. It's tabernacled in a body, in flesh. It's covered in flesh. And his name is Jesus. Am I making any sense right now? He's not saying there's three beings up there. The glory of God, the, uh, the, the, the three attributes, the glory of God and God and, and Jesus. No, that's not what's happening. He's seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's why Paul wrote that to the church in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 1, and said he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. I don't have time to go into all of it, but I hope you're seeing what, he's, what Stephen is seeing. He is declared. That's why they cried with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran upon him, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. It's not because he proclaimed to see Jehovah. It's because he declared, I see the glory of Jehovah in the face of Jesus Christ. You're talking about a transitional moment in the church right now because, because Stephen is seeing something that they haven't seen since the resurrection of Jesus Christ and he's declaring, wait, wait, wait a minute. I don't want to get too far ahead, but this is impacting. Paul's watching all of this take place. This Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, he's got, a, he's got so many doctor degrees in theology right now. He's set at the feet of the best of the best by the name of Gamaliel, and he's watching Stephen declare, oh, I see his glory. Stephen, you can't see his glory. It's hidden behind the veil. No, 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 it's not because the veil's been rent. I see his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Y'all got two more minutes? Okay, I'm trying to hurry, I promise. This is the only time, the only time I can find in Scripture, and if, it's, if I'm wrong on this, I'll take correction on this, but this is the only time I find in Scripture that Jesus ever stands at the right hand of God. The Bible talks about Jesus the tabernacle of flesh sitting, on the, sitting at the right hand of God. It's talking about he now sits and occupies the place. He tabernacles the power. He, he encompasses all the power and the glory of Almighty God. That's why he can sit, the verbiage there, at the right hand of God. But as Stephen, oh faithful Stephen, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the identity of who he is, Heaven goes to attention. And the Bible says that Stephen saw Jesus stand. Hear me tonight, folks. Kings never stand for their subjects. Until. Until they want to bestow great honor on their subjects. There is a time, I'm not trying to preach a crazy doctrine here, but there is a time where heaven stands at attention and you get heaven's attention 
You want to know when it is? Faithful service. Just stay faithful. In spite of the circumstances and the situation, stay faithful. Even when death stares you in the face, stay faithful. I don't find any other, where, any other place in Scripture where the Bible says that, they, that, that Jesus stood in the glory of God and looked at... No, it was there when Stephen was giving everything he had as the first martyr of the church, pouring out his blood. Heaven said, wait a minute, I'm taking notice of this. Church, stay faithful. Jesus takes good, makes good records. He keeps really good books. He sees what you're going through. He knows what's happening. The Bible says, if you continue on, that they cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And the whole time, there's a young man named Saul who's watching this, watching him declare, I see it. I see the glory. This young Pharisee who's got so much potential in Judaism is standing there consenting unto the death of Stephen. And next week, we'll start talking about how the death of Stephen transitioned the history of the church. Because he was willing to give it all and be faithful. I wonder what would happen in the 21st century. And I thank God for our church. I, I can't say that enough. So this is, not, this is not specific to Calvary Tabernacle. But I wonder what would happen if saints in the church would really get a hold of faithfulness and service to the kingdom of God. I wonder what would happen in our lives if we stopped looking at platforms and pulpits as opportunities and instead started looking at how can I serve the king. I wonder what life will change and what revival will ignite. I don't know about you, but I want to be apostolic. I want to see God move in my city and in my world. I want to see God do some things that I, uh, that will blow your mind. But you know where it starts? It starts with the understanding I'm going to serve him. I'm going to be faithful wherever he puts me. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to live for him and serve the king. Anybody feel that way tonight? Hey, Amen. Would you stand with me all over the building? We're going to lift our hands. We're going to lift our voice. We're going to thank God for his word right now. Lord, we love you. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you.